Hello, peoples, and welcome to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am your Harga host of the day, Ryan Siebold, coming at you with another I got five on it, five-minute mini-review. I am recording this episode in midwinter, so I thought I'd bring you some good tidings and cheer with the holiday classic Midsommar <laughs> from 2019. I'm only kidding, of course, this is not a holiday movie. Also, quick disclaimer, this is not a good date movie. If you are having even an inkling of trouble with your significant other, do not put this movie on. Inevitably, you are going to be laying in bed with the lights off, and one of the two of you is going to roll over and say, Honey, can I ask you a question? And it is all going to unravel from there. This movie is designed to be a mindfuck. It works well at that. With that said, let's get into it. This is the sophomore film from Ari Aster, who previously directed Hereditary, which was at the time A24's most successful release. This film was shot on a budget of $9 million and raked in a box office of $48 million. Hereditary, by comparison, was shot on a similar budget and brought in $80 million. Google has this summarized as, A couple traveled to Sweden to visit their friend's rural hometown for its fabled midsummer festival. But what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. The film stars Florence Pugh and Jack Rayner as our ill-fated star-crossed couple, Philhelm Blomgren, William Jackson Harper, and Will Poulter, who I just found out was British. <laughs> now, this film has tons of layers and so many Easter eggs and a lot of foreshadowing. You could get caught up in wormhole after wormhole and hours and hours and hours of viewing on YouTube, trying to dissect things and figuring things out in the deep dive after you watch this film. I know because I did exactly that. <laughs> I have not spent this much time preparing for a film discussion in quite a while. <laughs> for the purposes of this discussion, I'm going to try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible and just go over the broad strokes of what you need to know to get through this film discussion. The film opens in America. Danny and Christian as a couple are going through some things as Danny has just lost her family to a murder-suicide brought on by her sister involving her parents, and she is completely distraught. Meanwhile, her boyfriend Christian, played by Jack Rayner, is encouraged by a small group of his frat bro best friends to leave her behind as she's too much drama, too much trouble, but he knows he can't ditch her at such a dark period in her life, so he begrudgingly does the bare minimum. Meanwhile, a foreign exchange student encourages the whole group to come over to Sweden to this Midsommar festival in the small farm town in Sweden where he is from to leave the troubles of the world behind and gain a little culture. They all say, why not? Head on over. Culty shit ensues. And as we like to say on this show, we descend into madness. Now, director Ari Aster himself is quick to tell you that he does not see this as a horror film. He set out to make a breakup movie and sees this as a macabre fairy tale. The fairy tale theme is set out right from the start in the opening shot of a mural which kind of spoils the film from left to right as it goes across. It shows you all the elements of what's going to happen, although you don't know that when you first see it. But yeah, that was my co-host Jason's biggest problem with the film is that they kind of spoil it from the very first shot. He's like, great, I know what's going on. The fairy tale elements were also on full display in the cinematography by DP Pavel Porgozelski, which is a mouthful, but Ari Aster affectionately calls him Pav, so for the purposes of this episode, I will too. Pav and Ari were fellow graduates and best buds at the AFI Film Institute out of Los Angeles and went on to make their first film, Hereditary, together, which, just like this film, also had some amazing camera work. I cannot speak highly enough about the cinematography of this film. It is beautiful and methodical. 
In an interview with IndieWire, Ari and Pav are quoted as saying they went into Hereditary to shoot it almost too dark. They wanted to hide things in the shadows and obscure things intentionally, but because this film takes place out in daylight most of the time and has super Disney on acid vibes, they went into this film hoping to shoot it too bright. Pav said it was super scary riding right on the edge of exposure boundaries as he didn't want to overexpose any of these shots and ruin them. Pavel did tons of lighting tests as well as having film students do light surveys throughout the day so he knew exactly what the sun was going to be doing at each time. After trying out several different ways to light these scenes, the only thing he found that was going to work were these 20 by 20 frames, some with negative fill, some to bounce light off the ground. This was due to the camera often moving 360 degrees. There is a ton of camera movement, some slow and methodical, some very fast and disorienting, but in all cases, it reveals a lot of the set, so you can't have lights just floating in the background. He said the only exception to this was he did have three 18K lights on set, so that he can get his close-ups later in the day as the sun started to fade, he could add that light in. When there was no camera movement, he could push in really tight. He would use the 18K lights to emulate the sunlight and blow it out with the lenses and camera. Speaking of lenses and camera, he did many different tests, but landed on Panavision's Millennium DXL2, which to my understanding has RED's Monstro 8K sensor on it. And then he paired that with custom detuned or intentionally degraded Panavision Artiste lenses. He said the lenses and the oversized sensor gave him the greatest latitude to blow things out but still maintain details in the highlights, but he wanted the lenses detuned a little bit so they weren't so sharp, especially for the psychedelic sequences where he wanted to intentionally soften the image, adding those dreamlike qualities you'll see throughout the later parts of the film. It's pretty crazy these guys are on their second feature together and they're already doing things like custom detuning lenses <laughs> to get looks and stuff. Bananas, but good on them. Speaking of sophomore challenges, let's not forget that this is their second film and they're already going overseas to Budapest. In various sequences, they had over 120 different extras filling out the whole cult of the Harga, as well as a whole crew of people working long hours, all speaking three different languages, as some were from Budapest and Hungary, many were from Sweden, and a lot of them were from America or the UK. So this is your second movie. You're like 30 years old, and you got people coming up to you in various capacities, all asking you questions in three different languages. You're in a foreign country. You don't know what the hell you're doing. I mean, this is just crazy, and my hat's off to Ari. I guess that's what that AFI education prepares you for, because <laughs> I couldn't do it. Speaking of Swedish crew, I got nothing but good things to say about production designer Henrik Svensson, who in pre-production went all over Sweden and several neighboring Nordic and Scandinavian countries to get inspiration to design and fill out this farm. Absolutely amazing job. Everywhere you look is interesting in this movie. On that same note, I'd like to mention Andrea Flesch, who did all the costume design work for this film, which had tons of detail as you descent into madness around the farm and get closer and closer to Florence Pugh's character Danny becoming the May Queen and all the craziness that ensues. Yeah, I feel like so often we give so much credit to the cinematographer or the director for getting this shot or that shot, and not enough credit goes to the people that fill out those shots and give these people the things to shoot and make it all pretty. Lastly, I'm going to mention the music by British producer Bobby Curlick, who performs often as the Hacks in Cloak. In the past, he's produced music for Bjork, Father John Misty, and Goldfrapp, to name a few. The music for this film can be as foreboding as it is dreamlike, and is so interwoven into the threads of this film that you barely notice it at times drifting in or fading away. There are moments of this film that are made more haunting in their silence, but then there are other scenes of the film that are psychedelically enhanced by the film's score. I would say he has much to do with the macabre fairy tale elements as a production designer, the costume designer, the DP, the director. All these things were just working in perfect harmony for this film. If you can't tell, I really, really like this movie. Now, very quickly, we're going to get through some negatives for me. First of all, the grieving in this film is laid on very thick. There are many very long scenes of very heavy crying. Tip of the hat to Florence Pugh's performance for really laying it all on the line and bearing yourself raw in this film because that could not have been easy to do. She must have been exhausted after this. But yeah, if you're not mentally prepared for this movie, it will wreck you or mess with your head a little bit. 
The second thing I didn't really care for in this film was some of the dude brewery from the frat friends, namely Will Poulter's character, was laid on a little thick, especially when it's running in conjunction with all the harmony and nature and beauty of everything that's going on with the Harga, which are the cults on the farm. I could tell why they had to go there to justify some of the things that were about to happen to these characters, but sometimes it just felt like it was laid on a little too thick so that it stood out from everything else and it just kind of drew too much attention to it and brought me out of the film a little bit. My three adjectives for this movie are slow burn. No pun intended if you've seen this movie. I didn't mention this, but this has a director's cut that adds 30 more minutes to the film, which brings it to almost three hours long. It is a lot. And not just a lot, but a lot of messed up stuff. So it's hard to sit through. It is a slow burn. You really have to be in the mood for this movie. I could not stress that enough. But it is a masterpiece, if you're asking me. My second adjective is enchanting. Like every good fairy tale should, it will draw you in and charm you. This movie is the Pied Piper of folk horror. And my third is maddening, because after it enchants you, it drives you mad. It is like a real deal Grimm's fairy tale. This is not Santa Claus. This is the Krampus version. Before I give you a grade rating, I will quickly say this is one of the most divisive movies I have ever seen on the rating system. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or anything, people either give this like one star or five stars. There is very little in between. This is either your kind of movie or it is completely not. Some people hated this movie. Some people really, really loved it. I'm on the loved it side. I'm giving this a straight ahead A. As always, reach out on the socials and let us know what you think of Midsummer. This is Ryan Seabold signing off until the next episode of Esoterica Cinema.